Amen. Thank you, Sandra. Good morning. My name is Phil Masterson. I work on staff here. And just another public service announcement. If you're really hot, there's fans in the back, there's water in the back, and this column right here is getting good airflow. So if you need to move there, go for it. Seriously. No offense. Well, hey, um, Mark mentioned it earlier, but I thought I'd just start this morning, just give you guys an update on what happened with our staff this past week. So uh, this whole week from Monday through Thursday was something we call USCon. It's something we're going to be running every three years where every church plant from around the America comes together into down to Waco, which is kind of the, the mothership or the, the church that started uh, where Antioch started. Came together for four days of worship, prayer, kind of hearing kind of the same messages, uh, hearing testimonies of what's happening all around the states. And I just want to say, I am so encouraged from my time there. And I just want to say that I'm more and more convinced that I love what we're trying to do as the Antioch movement. And we really do believe that the local church is going to be the thing that changes our world. And the local church is going to be the way that God moves and expands his kingdom. And so we get to be part of that here in Boston. But it's also really encouraging to know that there's all sorts of places all around the states that are doing the same thing as us. So can I just share a few testimonies that were shared that stoked my faith that I hope kind of transfer to you guys? First testimony is from a church plant that we actually sent out about six years ago. We sent a team to Antioch, Phoenix. And that was led by Travis and Joy Phillips. They were college pastors here for about 10 years. And also Adam and Shelly Reed, they were the young adult pastors here for about, I don't know, eight years. And so we sent them out about six years ago. And they've had an awesome time in Phoenix, seeing God move in major ways. But one of the things they were really believing for was a new building. So they met in a place, kind of like us, they, they, they could only use it on a Sunday night. And they were like really believing that, could we have a building? Could we have a place that we call our own? And so through a couple crazy events, through prayer, through about two years of praying and thinking, how do we do this? Finally, they actually met another church that was kind of on the decline. It was a little bit of an older generation church. And the church decided, they said, hey, we really love your values. We really love what you guys are doing. We want to give you our property. And so they gave a $4.5 million property. Just said, here you go. It's yours. And so now Antioch Phoenix has a building. They have plans to expand in that place. They have about 650 people that meet on Sundays. All different campuses there. So I just want to say, praise God, we sent them out. That's our children in a lot of ways, right? Another really cool thing that's happening. So if you guys remember last, or that happened, last fall, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston. If you guys remember, that was big news, right? Houston had four days of straight rain, and, and, and uh, Fred Nelson's the pastor there. He gave me this stat, and it blew my mind. How many of you guys have been in Niagara Falls? Okay, picture Niagara Falls, the amount of water that flows over Niagara Falls, okay? He said that in four days, it would be like Niagara Falls flowing for 13 straight days onto Houston. That's how much water got dumped in four days. And so millions of homes were destroyed. Millions of people were kind of, uh, I don't know if millions of homes, but millions of people were at least displaced. Tons of homes were destroyed. And what was really cool, though, is that Antioch movement, the different people from our churches, about 1,200 people mobilized to go to Houston to help people. And so they helped uh, take out houses, kind of remove mold. But it was just an amazing example of we're a church that mobilizes. We say, okay, there's a need, we're going to go. 1,200 people went and helped Houston. Speaking of mobilization, another thing that's happening right now, you guys have heard, we've been praying for it, is engage the islands. So we have about 1,500 people 
who have gone to Indonesia or are in Indonesia for this entire summer, who are all about sharing the gospel, proclaiming Jesus there, seeing Bible studies happen, and seeing churches planted. 1,500 people from around our, the states have been sent this summer to Indonesia. Is that you, I mean, isn't that amazing that we are people that really do want to mobilize and really what do we want to say, hey, we're the hands and feet of Jesus that go to these places. A couple other cool things. The first African-American pastor was just put into leadership about a month ago down in Oklahoma. Praise God. We believe for many more. A college pastor down in Waco, he lives uh, bivocational, meaning he owns businesses and he's in ministry. His really belief is that, hey, I want to communicate to people that business is an amazing way to expand the kingdom. And so he, he chooses to do that by living, a bivoca- living bivocationally. I love that. I love that example that he's trying to set. It was amazing for our staff. So we got to go down. About 36 people from the three churches here in Boston went down. And our, our staff, Brighton, we got to hang out in the same Airbnb together. That was a blast. Once we put the kids down, we hung out late nights, had Bluebell ice cream. Come on. Bluebell's the best. And we just hung out until like midnight. I even learned a little dance move. I didn't know if I was going to do this, but I think I'm going to do this. It's called the floss. This is a, the Zahnbrecher kid showed me. If you're a child, you know what I'm doing. No children here, but anyway, that was the floss. I learned that. It's those kind of things that are just fun for us as a staff to go and do together and, and kind of build relationships together. So again, overall, the week was amazing. So encouraging, and I'm, I'm so stoked, again, to be part of the Antioch movement. But an interesting th- thing happened. So I didn't start off all that well for me. So Monday night, we get down there, and we're invited. To, we we kind of start this one opening worship set. We roll up into Antioch Community Church in Waco, and their church is a little bit different than ours. They're, they're what we would call a mega church. They have about an auditorium for 3,500 people. Uh, they have huge stage. They have lights, cameras. I mean, you name it. They, they got the, they, it's an amazing production down there. And so two things began to happen in me as I, as I roll into Antioch Waco. It's two feelings, judgment and insecurity. So I'm in this first worship set, and I, literally, I can't worship because I have these two things going on inside me. Judgment, because I'm like, this isn't, what, 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 why do you do this church thing like this? Like, church meets in a gym, has a hardwood floor. If you get bored, you can go shoot hoops in the back. You know, that's what church is. It's not this. Or, or I think sometimes, like, man, judgment of, like, you can just go out and preach the gospel and, like, a thousand people will respond down in the Bible Belt. Here in Boston, it's a little bit harder. So I, I just have these judgments towards them. Or they use phrases like y'all and stuff. And I'm like, it's you all. You know, different, different feelings of judgment came upon me as I was looking at this. But the other thing was insecurity. You know, sometimes being uh, one of the other churches, one of the church plants, you can feel like you're like the, the little brother rolling in and, and hanging out with the big brother. And you're like looking up to him, right? Almost all the, not all the guys, but many of the guys that got on the stage, they were like decked out in skinny jeans and had a man bun. And I was like, I don't have that stuff. I can't even fit into skinny jeans. I'm like losing my hair, so I can't even. So just, but just insecurity. I'm like, I don't communicate like they do. Or, or hey, our church doesn't look like this. 
So I, can, I have these feelings of insecurity that were happening. So as we're worshiping, I'm so frustrated with myself because have you ever been in a, in a worship setting and all you can think about is your own junk? All you can think about is like your own problems? Well, that was me for that first night. So I wake up on Tuesday morning and I'm like, God, I cannot act like this. I cannot feel this way. So I went to coffee, got some time with the Lord, and two things happened, or two things that I started to focus on. First, the night before, on Monday night, Jimmy Seibert, the leader of our movement, he was speaking about uh, being an apostolic people. And an apostolic people, they, uh, they look to the preeminence of Christ. So we looked at Colossians chapter 1, and the whole chapter is just about the preeminence, the greatness of Christ. And so that was just a great thing for me to meditate. I found that, you know, in my insecurity, I look at myself. In my judgment, I look around at others. When I focus on the preeminence of Christ, my gaze is up. And I, and I lose those things. So that was the first thing I started to meditate on. The second thing was is that I started to prepare for this message. And so I'm reading in James 4. That's the next passage that we're going to be looking at. And James 4, 7 through 10, where this, as I'm reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, if, if I apply this to my life, this judgment and insecurity will, will go away. Or at least I hoped it would. And so as I read James 4, 7 through 10, we're going to get to that in a few minutes, I read it and I obeyed it. And this is what I learned. I learned this. And this is the message that I really want to just you guys to walk away with is this. We can choose, humility is a choice that opens us to the grace of God. Humility is a choice that opens us to the grace of God. And the grace of God is an amazing thing because the grace of God is His love, is His favor, is His strength, is His help to deal with some of our inner stuff, deal with some of the inner desires that we battle with. And so I want to be a people who are full of grace, that can receive the grace of God. But I believe that the key part of that is for us to choose humility. And so that's what we're going to look at today as we look at James chapter 4, 1 through 10. So let's read this passage. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Amen. So I'm going to work through this kind of chunk by chunk. And again, the message that I want us to walk away with is this, is that humility is a choice that opens us to God's grace. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. And I title this, uh, this kind of section, The Battle Within. So he says, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires 
that battle within you? And he goes on to list a bunch of different ways that these desires within us, what, how they manifest. Fights, quarrels, jealousy, murder, coveting, other ones, lust, sexual immorality, hedonistic desires. He spends what you get on your pleasures. James here is reflecting on a reality of hum- humanity. Is that we all have these inner desires that are in, in battle within us. All of us have things that we're battling. All of us have these things that, these inner desires that are, wage war against us and wage war against us living the way that Christ lived. We often know what to do, the right thing to do, yet we battle against it because of something inside of us that says, no, 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 I want to do something else. So for me, on Monday night, it was judgment and insecurity. I had this battle within me. I was, I was kind of looking down on others, and then I was super insecure. I was looking down on myself in a lot of ways. Other times, I felt the inner battle is laziness. I, wanna, I just want to veg out instead of living to my responsibilities that I have. In the past, it's been sexual desires and lust. And saying, oh, I want that. I want that. I want to I be able to fantasize about that. It's these things that we battle. What are the desires that are within you? Each of us have different things. And I want to say that I believe that when we grow into maturity, we grow in our self-awareness of what those desires actually are. So some of the desires that I deal with on a normal basis or a regular basis that I have to constantly keep in check and constantly make sure that I'm open with other people about. First one is kind of that that hedonism, that that desire for pleasure, and and it manifests itself in alcohol. I have to always check if ever I'm, I'm drinking alcohol, is, is the point of it to chase a buzz or is the point of it to enjoy and celebration with other people around me? And that's, a, that's something I need to ask myself and be honest with myself and be honest with other people as that inner desire wages in me. Another one is just kind of media and YouTube and particularly for me, I, I enjoy sports. And that's not a bad thing at all. But it is a bad thing when I choose that over kind of the responsibilities that I have in my life. Or if I put that first over being with my children or caring for my wife or doing my work responsibilities. Another one is I enjoy working out. I enjoy fitness. But if ever I feel that the purpose of fitness is, to, is idolatry instead of building a godly temple, if ever I feel that idolatry in my fitness, I need to, I need to check that inside of me. I need to bring myself and, and I kind of humble myself before other people and say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm dealing, I'm struggling with this thing. So what are the desires that are inside of you? Maturity is self-awareness of what those things are and bringing other people into them, bringing, being honest with other people. So we all have these desires that battle within us. Okay, so what can those things lead to? What can, those inner, that, what can that inner battle actually lead to? So this is verse 4. These desires can lead to sin. And here's what it says. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, adultery is a pretty intense sin. And it's in a pretty intense kind of uh, verb or or kind of uh, the way that James uses that word. Because adultery is this. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Leslie. I've made a commitment to her. But adultery is me kind of turning my back on the commitment and the covenant I've made with her and saying, I'm going to go for an easy love. 
Or I'm going to kind of have emotional or physical intimacy with another woman. That is adultery. I can't imagine a more painful thing that could happen inside of the marriage covenant is adultery. And so here James is using that. And when I, I think of the history of the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament, adultery is the word that is used for the sin of them turning to other things and other gods. All throughout the Pentateuch, the kings, chronicles, the prophets, it's Israelites delivered from, from slavery, brought into freedom, brought to the promised land, and yet all the time they turn away from that God who did all that and say, I'm going to follow another God. I'm going to I'm going to have emotional and physical intimacy with another God or another woman. That's the story of Israel's history. And so James is bringing that out. And he's saying, do not commit adultery. This is, if those inner desires, if they go unchecked, that is the sin that we will lead to. Is adultery against our God. Or another way that he says it is friendship with the world. So what, how does adultery and friendship with the world manifest? What does that look like? Well, it could look like this. It's us finding satisfaction in other lovers. In things other than the things of God. Things other than what the Bible says is is a way to live our lives. Things other than the way that the Holy Spirit draws us. If we find satisfaction in things other than that, that is potential adultery and friendship with the world. It's when we believe that other things will satisfy us or other ways of life or living like the world kind of portrays we should live. It's when we decide to live like that instead of the way that the Holy Spirit, the way that Jesus lived, the way that we see in the Bible the way we're supposed to live. That is adultery. That's friendship with God. Sorry, it's friendship with the world. So how, how do you know if you're actually entering into this sin? These are two ways that I kind of identify in my own heart if I've entered into these things. First is I examine my schedule. And I say, have I put God in the first place every day? You know, something happened just two days ago. I was babysitting my, well, babysitting. I was being a father of my girls. <laughs> I was watching them. And I put them down for a nap. And if you're a parent, you know that nap time is maybe one of the most precious hours of the day. Because they get to sleep and you get to do something that maybe you wanted to do for the first time. And so I had three choices. One was I could spend time with the Lord. I hadn't, I hadn't read the Bible. It had actually been a couple days. It had been a couple days of travel. And I was just like, man, I would love to read the Bible. I'd love to just kind of, Lord, I, I need you. I, want you. I want to be near you. I, I desire that. I deeply do desire that. Second one is I could take a nap because I had a late night and not much sleep. So I was like, man, that would be a great use of my time. Take a nap. And, I, and, I, and by the way, I bless everybody every parent who takes naps during their children's nap. I think that's a great idea. Thirdly, though, is there was a Red Sox game on. And they were playing the Yanks. And they're killing it right now. And so I was like, I want to see the Sox. So I had these three decisions. And what do you think I chose to do? Did I I choose right? I watched the Sox game, right? (laughs) I had an hour, and I was like, I want to see Mookie hit another home run. That's one of our better players, by the way. And, and so, you know, this is, this is a, similar, a small example. And nothing is wrong with any of those three choices. But afterwards, I just identified in my own heart. I was like, man, I had a choice. I had a, I had a moment, I had a period that I had a choice, that I could have made a choice to spend time with the Lord instead of going to just, I mean, a, a fun veg kind of chill out time. Again, nothing wrong with vegging and chilling out and watching the Sox game. But I knew in my own heart, I just examined my own heart. I said, 
I, that wasn't the right choice for me at that time. And so I, I want to submit to you guys, examine your schedule. Do you feel any kind of pull towards the world or adultery? Examine your schedule. What do you put in the first place? The second way that I can identify adultery in my own heart is if I am spending time with the Lord, if I'm, if I'm cultivating that friendship and that intimacy with Him, I tend to live in extravagant faith. That is the byproduct of spending time with the Lord is that I tend to have great belief for great things. And that's the way I honestly want to live. I want to have great faith for each one of your lives. When I look at your life, I want to see like, dude, I don't see this right here. I see leader. I see world changer. I, see, I have faith for something way higher. When I pray, I'm like, I'm having prayer that these bold prayers are actually going to do something. When I read the Word, I'm like, oh man, I have faith that this is going to like, that this can change people's lives. That Jesus will change people's lives. When, I'm, when I feel like I'm in friendship with God, that's, that's just the natural byproduct. I don't even have to try to have faith. I just have it. But when I notice that I'm kind of in a place of fear or kind of continual doubts about who God is, about His goodness... Or if I start looking at other people and I'm like, you sinner. You're a waste of time. And I stop having faith for them. And I stop having faith for investment in them. That tends to be, um, for me, a sign that, that I have given myself to other lovers. That I, have, that I have started to stray away from my first love. And so that's the way that I identify if I'm living in adultery, if I'm moving towards that. So we're seeing, verse 1 through 3, that we have these inner battles that wage war in us. What are those things for you? If those go unchecked, if you, if you go kind of, un, just kind of like allow those things to take over, I want to submit it leads to adultery and leads to friendship with the world. But now I have good news as we turn the corner in this passage. Verse 5 and 6. And I'm going to change. The first version was the NIV. I like the way that the NLT puts this. It says this, What do you think the Scriptures mean when they say that the Holy Spirit, whom God has placed within us, jealously longs for us to be faithful? He gives us more and more strength to stand against such evil desires. As the Scriptures say, God sets Himself against the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. In other versions, it says that He gives us more grace. God has placed His Spirit within us that draws us, convicts us, pulls us, draws us to be with Him. And that's the good news is that if you have the Holy Spirit, you have this amazing power inside you that is drawing you towards Him. And He also says this, that He gives us strength to stand against these evil desires that He talked about earlier. These battles that wage war inside of us. So His grace is His strength that He gives us to stand against these things. But here's one of the big roadblocks for us to not receive that strength and that grace. And this verse, the end of verse 6, it says God sets Himself against the proud, but He shows favor to the humble. I like it in the, in the, in the NIV. It says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Guys, we need the grace of God in our lives in order to stand against these evil desires, but we have this major roadblock that James is telling us. He says, if you have a proud heart, you are opposed to God. You will not receive His grace. But when you are humble, you receive the grace of God, which is what we need, what we desperately need as believers. 
I want to be a man who is so open to God's grace. I want to be a man who does not live in the opposition of God. So I just want to say quickly about what's the difference between pride and humility. Well, pride is this. And this comes directly from the Lord's Prayer. If you know the Lord's Prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Humility is us saying, Your name, Your kingdom, Your will. Pride is us saying, My name, My kingdom, My will. Pride is us saying, I want a great name. I want the glory. I want preeminence. I want popularity. I want to be known. Pride is, I want my kingdom to be great. My possessions, my house, my security, my will is saying that I get to choose the way that I live my life. It's up to me. And I want to say that, you know, in in mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis calls pride the greatest sin because it's the sin of Satan. It's the sin that that Satan was at the beginning of the world, right? He was in heaven with God. And all the angels are bowing down to God. And and, and Satan goes, wait, why can't I get some of that glory? Why Why don't you look to me? I'm a beautiful person. And what does God do? He banishes him to earth, right? God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So I just want to say, church, can we be a people who are humble, whose first response is always your name, your kingdom, your will. That is what humility is. Let's move to the final three verses. Seven through ten. This is our response. So verse one through three, James is commenting on humanity, saying you guys have these evil desires that wage war inside of you. If left unchecked, it leads towards verse 4, adultery, friendship with the world. But praise be to God in verse 5 and 6. The good news is He gives us the Holy Spirit, and if we're humble, He gives us His grace to stand against these things. So how do we respond? How do we actually choose humility? So here I am, Tuesday morning, this past Tuesday, struggling with insecurity and judgment. I stumble upon verses 7 through 10, and I say, okay, man, if this is true, then this is going to actually help me in my place of insecurity and my place of judgment. And so I just followed. I just read and obeyed. I just followed this little pattern that James gives here. It says this, so humble yourselves before God. And so I just said, okay, God, no more am I looking at myself and being insecure in who I am compared to all these other cool people. No longer do I have judgment on them and all the other churches and all the other stories that they have. I am going to reflect on the preeminence, Colossians 1, of Christ. I'm going to look up to you and I'm going to say, your name, your kingdom, your will. I want to say the first way to choose humility is to have that be your attitude. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Secondly, it says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So I just was like sitting there in the coffee shop. I was like, devil be gone. Get out of here. If there's any way that you're trying to sow seeds of lies inside of me, be gone in Jesus' name. So I just like engaged in some spiritual warfare. That's a real thing. The devil's trying to tell you a bunch of crap that you're not supposed to believe. So we need to say, I resist that and flee from me, devil. Engage in some spiritual warfare. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. And so I just said, okay, God. I just pictured myself kind of drawing in, 
his, in, into his shadow, right, into his cloak. I just picture myself drawn closer to him. I said, I want to spend time with you. I want to be with you. Goes on. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. So I just, I went before Him. I said, okay, I'm going to wash my hands. I'm going to purify my heart. I just think this, this means confession. Reflect on my life. And I just, I just was, I was grieved about my attitude. I tried to cry. I literally did. I was like, come on, tears, come. I want to grieve this. But I did. I grieved in my heart. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. This is my, this is my attitude. So I believe that part of humility is confession to the Lord, coming before Him and confessing our sins. Then verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. So here's the testimony. Is that I felt something totally shift and change as I did those things. As I reflected on the preeminence of Christ. As I thought about, I want to humble myself before you. As I resisted the devil. As I drew near to Him. As I confessed my sins. I literally felt... All of a sudden, these feelings of insecurity and judgment just started, like, they were gone. And I roll up into the worship set on Tuesday morning, and it was like, you know know those times when you just feel free? You don't care about anybody else? That was me. Every single time that they had any kind of thing of response, I was like, yup, I'm responding, that's me. I just said, I was like, yeah, I'll take it, whatever. I didn't have any insecurity. I, didn't, I wasn't worried about what other people were thinking of me. I was like, yeah, I'll respond to that. Absolutely. Thank you. I'll take that. I didn't have any insecurity as well in terms of ministering to other people. That's another piece of, of this whole thing. Is I had such confidence. I was like, man, I'm, I'm a child of God. I have confidence in who I am. I got to go minister. I gave this prophetic word to this one guy that was like, you know one of those prophetic words that's like a punch to the gut in a good way? That's what I gave to this guy. It was like he needed it at that time. And he was like, dude, that totally strengthens me for this next season of life. He was making big decisions. I was like, praise God. I'm walking in security. I can deliver the word of the Lord. So it was an amazing week. And it was an amazing time for me to learn something. That when I chose humility... When I said, okay, God, if this word is real, if this word is right, if James 4 is a real thing, if we really do have these desires that wage war in us, and I don't want to be a man of adultery or friendship with the world. I want to be one who receives your grace because grace allows me to stand against these things. Well, guess what? It's humility that we need to choose. And so that's how we're going to respond today. So, Christian, you guys can come on up. I've been praying this week. I've just been saying, God, In response, may we have the conviction of the Holy Spirit who He's put inside of us. This Holy Spirit that says in verse 5 that longs to be faithful to God. I've just been praying, God, give us conviction in our hearts about any area of pride. Any area where we've said, my name, my kingdom, my will. And and it's going to look different for each one of us. But I believe that there's a response saying, We choose humility. As a people, we choose humility. I mean, every single one of these songs these guys picked. You are my king. You are my king. That is humility. That's us acknowledging the kingship, the lordship, the preeminence of Christ. Right now, this song they chose is called Open Space. And one of the the chorus says this, my heart is an open space for you to come and have your way. 
I'm open. I'm open. So let us respond in that way. So if you need to respond by coming to the front, do it. You'll get prayed for. If you need to respond where you are and just kind of confess any area of pride or anywhere, any area that you just want to choose humility, do it. Or if you're just in a place of God, just kind of crying out to God, God, I want to choose humility. Do that because, again, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want us all to walk out of here confident that we're receiving tons and tons of grace in our lives. So let's respond. Let me pray. Lord, the preeminent one, Jesus Christ, our King, we look to you right now and we say that, yes, it's, this life is all about your name being made great in our lives. Your kingdom being built through the church. Your will being done through our choices, submitting to you. So Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that lives and chooses humility and that you would pour out your grace upon us. So right now, Lord, speak to us in any specific way that we need to see areas of pride in our hearts. And give us, convince us that it's worth it to choose humility. You guys can go ahead and stand up as we